0: This is session 36 of Better Brand of Happiness, and in this session we will continue to look at the paragraph, which is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. And so if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Or if you want to use the app, just tap on the uh, notes section of the app, and the passage will be there included in the notes as well. But either way, either in the app or in your Bibles, please follow along as I read Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9 where the scripture says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And I want to begin this session as I typically do by going over um, just briefly some of the things that we've learned in the previous sessions. This is, as I've told you before several times, one paragraph of scripture. The passage I just read, Philippians four four through nine, is one complete paragraph of scripture. And even though we're looking at the pieces kind of um, in pretty minute ways, I don't ever want us to get lost in the small little pieces that we're looking at and miss the bigger picture. So I want to take a minute and just review what we've already learned in previous sessions of this paragraph. One of the most important things to remember in this paragraph as we go through it piece by piece is that this paragraph contains six imperative verbs, six verbs of command are contained in these verses, Philippians 4, 4 through 9. And those six verbs, those six imperatives are the word rejoice. It's used twice in verse 4, where it says rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. That's the first imperative verb repeated in this passage. The second one is in verse 5, and it is, it is translated be evident, Again, verse five says, "Do not be." Or, I'm sorry. Verse five says, "Let your gentleness be evident to all." And the, the phrase "be evident" is an imperative. It's a verb of command. The third one is in the first part of verse six, where it says, "Do not be anxious about anything." That's a command, and that command is followed up, and it's uh, it's completed. I might say later on. In uh, verse 6b, which says, present your requests to God. And I've told you that these two commands, even though they're both kind of separate um, imperatives, they work together. The Bible says, don't be anxious about anything, but instead replace anxiety with prayer. Make your requests, present your requests to God. The next imperative, the fifth one, is the phrase in verse 8 that says, think about such things. It's a command to use our mind in an intentional way. And the final one is, comes to us from our verse for today, verse 9, which is put it into practice. And so Paul here has six commands that he puts together in this paragraph of Scripture. And many commentators believe that this is really an unconnected list. It's almost like a shopping list. If you um, put together a shopping list... Some of the the items on that shopping list might be connected to each other, but some of them might be, in a sense, random. They're just things you need. And some commentators think this is kind of a random list, that these are just things that Paul, they, they just come to his mind, and so he puts them down in the paragraph. But that is not my belief or my position or my understanding of this passage of Scripture. Instead, I think Paul has some certain relationships among these commands in mind. That is, he wants to see that there's a connection in some way between these six commands or among these six commands. And the way I've connected them together is to look at the first command in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord, is sort of the head command. It's the one that the others are connected to. And as I've told you in previous sessions, rejoice is this leading command. It's the major truth. What Paul wants us to do is to learn to rejoice in the Lord, to make the Lord the object of our joy, to make our relationship with Him, the thing that we get our significance from, the thing that gives meaning to our lives. All right, so that's the head command. The other five commands then sort of flesh out for us what that means. They sort of apply the command to rejoice in the Lord in different ways in our Christian life. And so in verse 5 then, rejoicing in the Lord means choosing to be gentle with other people. And in verses 6 and 7, rejoicing in the Lord means replacing anxiety with prayer. And in the last session we saw in verse 8, that rejoicing in the Lord means being intentional about the kinds of things you think about. Finally, here in verse 9, we're going to see that rejoicing in the Lord means, it, 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 it talks about what that will lead you to do as a Christian, Here in verse 9, we're going to see that rejoicing in the Lord should change the way you act as a person because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I've summarized this paragraph as I typically do in what is called the big idea. And my big idea statement, my one sentence summary for this paragraph is, when you rejoice in the Lord, it will make you gentle, prayerful when anxious, intentional in your thinking and obedient to God's word. Today's session, as I've already indicated, focuses on verse 9 and the phrase, Obedient to God's Word. When you rejoice in the Lord, it's going to change the way you act, and the way you act is going to reflect obedience to the Word of God. That's really the point of today's session. And so that's the end of my review. And so let's look now together at Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, which is the subject of today's session. Philippians 4, 9 again says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. That's our text for this morning. And as we've done in recent sessions, I want to take a minute and look at how this verse, verse 9, is structured grammatically, how it unfolds in terms of the grammar of the sentence. And so the next um, thing we're going to look at here, sort of the next heading for this message, is sort of an overview of verse 9. An overview of verse 9. Verse 9 begins with the word whatever. And this verb is a relative pronoun, relative because many things can refer back to it. And um, this is the first word in the sentence. And in English, often the first word or one of the first major words is usually the subject of the sentence. But not so in this paragraph. In this paragraph, the word whatever is actually the direct object. It's the direct object in this sentence. And the, uh, being the direct object, it means it's the object of the main verb in this sentence, which is translated, put it into practice. Now, that's one word in the original Greek, but it's a word that's packed with meaning. And so um, we'll talk about this word, this verb, in a little bit more detail later, in a few minutes. But um, this phrase, put it into practice, is the main verb. It's the command in this sentence. And so... Given that whatever is the direct object of this command, what Paul is saying here is, put these things into practice. And then he follows that up by saying, whatever is, and then following that, that phrase, whatever, there are four clauses. All right, So we talked about clauses last time. And clauses are dependent Pieces of a sentence that have a subject, a verb, and an object, usually, but they're not, they could be complete sentences structurally, but they're not. They fill in part of the meaning. And in this um, verse, what they fill in is the meaning of whatever. Paul says, I want you to put into practice whatever, all right? But that whatever is filled in by these four clauses that follow. And what are these four clauses? They are you have learned, that's the first one, or received that's the second one, or heard from me, that's the third one, or seen in me, that's the fourth one. Paul uses four different clauses to describe what he means by whatever. And those four clauses then fill in the, um, the meaning of the verb, do. All right, And that's another way you could translate this phrase, put it into practice. You could just translate it, do these things. Finally, the verse ends with one result. And so Paul says, I want you as Christians to put certain things into practice in your life. Those certain things are whatever fits into one of these four categories. And then he says, if you do this, if you put into practice the things that you have learned and received and and heard and seen in me, there's going to be a result. And that result comes at the end of the passage, which is, and the God of peace will be with you. That is the promise. For believers in Christ who put into practice what Paul describes in this passage of Scripture. And so as we look together at the meaning of Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, we're gonna see that this verb, this verse, urges obedience in the Christian life. That Paul's point here, the, the last thing he wants to say about what it means to rejoice in the Lord, is that rejoicing in the Lord translates itself into obedience to Christian doctrine. That's really what verse 9 is saying to us. It's what it's communicating to us as we look at this verse. And so having overviewed verse 9, I think I want to summarize its meaning by saying this. The emphasis of this verse is obedience to Christian doctrine. That's what Paul's getting at. That's the final way he's saying we rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord when we put into practice the Christian doctrines that we have learned as believers in Jesus Christ. Or in other words, we could put it this way. Christians are commanded to act in obedience to truth. That it's not enough for us to just learn the truth of the Christian life, but having learned the truth of the Christian life, we should put it into practice in our lives. It should change the way we live. There should be actions that are different based on what we have learned from the Scripture and from the truth. And I get this again from the main verb in this verse, which is translated in verse 9, put it into practice. Again, that's a command, and it's a command to act in obedience to the truth of God's Word. Now, the word translated, put into practice in the NIV, um, could be further defined this way. We could define it this way. It means to do, to bring about, to accomplish something through activity. That's sort of an expansion of what the main verb, the command in this verse says. That as Christians, we are to act in certain ways in order to bring about a certain type of result. And that last part, through activity, is really important. It tells us that that as Christians, we have to do things differently than the way we've been doing them. That part of following Jesus Christ means changing the way you live, changing the way you act as a person, changing the kinds of uh, habits that you have as a person and the kind of actions that you have toward yourself, toward other people, toward God. And I should also mention that this verse, this verb, put it into practice, is a present tense verb. Now, in the original Greek, there are different types of tenses, and there are actually more tenses in Greek than we have in English. In English, you're familiar with present tense, I am standing here. Past tense, I was standing there. All right, future tense, I will be standing over there. We have these tenses in English. Greek has more of them than just past, present, and future. And they're not always used in super specific ways. Sometimes the present tense is used and nothing is necessarily communicated differently about it. But I think in this in this, in this instance it is. The present tense verb means something in this context. When Paul says in verse 9... Whatever you've learned, put it into practice. He is saying, by using the present tense verb, keep putting it into practice. The point is that the Christian life is not an act, but rather it is a pathway. It is a lifestyle. It's a new direction that is pursued day after day after day in our lives. And so Paul is telling us that this is what we ought to do if we're rejoicing in the Lord. That we ought to develop some new habits, some new actions in our lives. And the content of what we are to put into practice is described in these these four clauses that, that I showed you earlier. And they tell us that Christians should obey truth in every way it is communicated to us. What Paul wants us to put into practice are the four clauses that he put it preceding the verb in verse 9. And all of those four clauses describe the communication of truth in one way or another. Look again at verse 9 with me. Paul says, whatever you have learned, that's the first clause, or received, that's the second one, or heard from me, or seen in me, Paul says you, have, as Christians, have encountered the truth of God's Word in multiple ways. And whichever way, and all of the ways, in fact, that the truth has come into your life needs to translate out of your life in specific kinds of actions. In other words, whether you watched somebody live out Christian character, which is one of the ways Paul says, he says, you've seen in me, or whether you've heard about the reputation of someone like Paul from other people, or whether it's the direct teaching of God's Word, whatever it is, however the truth comes into your life as a Christian, it needs to translate out of your life in the way that you act. Okay, And so what the, the point of this is that God's truth comes into our life really in many different ways. There's one source of the truth, of course, that's God's Word. But that word is communicated to us in multiple ways in our life. And however it is we encounter the truth of God's word, God's command to us is to put it into practice, to put obedience into our lives. Now, as I said earlier, and I want to look at it again, verse 9 begins with the word whatever. And that word whatever that begins this verse in context really means something like everything or all of the things. Paul is saying everything you've learned, or received, or heard, or seen in me, put into practice. That's what he's indicating by the word "every," whatever. And the clauses, that, as I said, that follow this word describe the different sources of truth that can come into our life. Now we'll take time in in uh, further sessions to talk about some of these other sources of truth. Each one of these is really important, and I wanted to cover them all in one session, but I just couldn't do it and get this done in a reasonable amount of time. Okay, And so we'll have to come back to this verse again in in other sessions, in sessions after this one, and look at some of the other things that Paul says. Instead, in this session, we're going to just focus on the first relative clause in verse 9, which is, Whatever you have learned. Whatever you have learned learned. This tells us that the truth of God, one of the ways in which it comes into our life is through learning. Truth is learned. And the word that's translated learned here means to learn through instruction. It's the kind of word, there are different words for learning in the New Testament. This one has kind of a specific focus on sort of the kind of instruction that happens in a classroom. And you know in your life you've learned different ways. You can learn through reading. You can learn through trial and error. You can learn through watching somebody else do something. Or you can learn something in a classroom. I think because we spend so much time being educated as children and as young adults, if you go to college or graduate school, That that when we hear the word learn, that's what we think of. We think of classroom instruction. And that's what Paul has in mind here. That's the word that's translated learned in verse 9. It's telling us that one of the ways in which God's truth comes into our life is actually in a classroom-type setting, where someone like me gets up and gives instruction to people. Paul says, if you have received the truth of God this way, and all of us have... We should rejoice in the Lord by putting that into practice in our lives. And so what this is telling us then is that, among other things, the church is a classroom. Now, that's not the only thing the church is, but it's one of the important things that church is. Church is a classroom. When the church gathers together, as we've gathered together this morning, it can, we can do many things together as the church. But one of the things that we ought to do as the church is to sit in class and learn what God's Word has to say to us. And it's, I think it's helpful for us to remember who the Philippians were. The Philippians were Gentiles. And so when the gospel came to their city, and when they heard the, the, the good news that Christ died for our sins... And when they received that and became Christians, there was a whole lot of biblical knowledge in what we call the Old Testament that they didn't know. Jewish Christians knew it. They had been raised in their synagogues and in their families, hearing the stories and the Old Testament laws and reading the Psalms and the Proverbs. Jewish Christians were steeped in the Bible. And so being told that Christ the Messiah came to fulfill the promises of God stated in the Old Testament was not necessarily easier to accept for the Jewish people, but there was a, uh, maybe a richer background to their acceptance of Christ. They understood a lot more of God's truth from having been taught the Old Testament, but the Philippians didn't have that. The Philippians, in a sense, were, you might say, they were pagans. They may have had religious ideas, about the existence of God and who God is. But they didn't have the Old Testament background. They didn't know who David was or who Moses or Abraham or Isaiah or Gideon or Solomon or anyone you want to think of in the Old Testament. They didn't know who those people were. They also didn't know the commandments of God. Now, the Bible says some of God's commandments are written on our hearts and in our conscience. Commandments such as, do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not bear false witness, okay, don't lie. These things are are embedded in the conscience of of humanity. But there's so much more to the law of God than just those things. The idea that, that there is only one God and that we must worship Him alone, that's a concept from the Old Testament that pagans like the Philippians needed to be taught, And so when Paul says here in verse 9, whatever you have learned in the classroom that is the church, he is calling back to what he taught them while he was there. After leading these people to Jesus Christ, Paul opened the Old Testament scriptures to them. And he told them that this world did not appear by some accident, but rather that it was the intentional creation of God over six literal 24-hour days. And that the first man and the first woman were given a perfect place to live by God and were only given one command, but they broke that command and all humanity fell into sin. And so Paul said, When I was with you in Philippi, you sat in my classroom and I taught you systematically the truth of the Bible. I taught you what Genesis taught, what, me- what Genesis says and what it meant. I taught you who Abraham and who. Um, who Moses was, and who David was, and so on. Can you you imagine the amount of teaching that unbelievers who had just become believers, like the Philippians, who were pagans, had to absorb in order to really understand the Old Testament Scriptures? And yet, as Paul writes these letters to the churches, he refers back to those Old Testament Scriptures in such a way that we realize that these... Gentile believers knew what he was talking about. In other words, Paul had taken time in the classroom to teach the Bible to the people. They learned certain facts that are contained in the Old Testament, and they learned certain facts about who Jesus Christ was that had not yet been written down in the New Testament. And what Jesus taught and what Jesus did... All of this stuff had to be communicated to the Philippians, and Paul says, you sat in my classroom, and I systematically taught you the facts of the old and what we now call the New Testament Gospels. But more than that, Paul didn't just teach facts. He taught the meaning of those facts, the spiritual significance of these facts. Like, what did the Passover mean? Why did God use this unusual means of, of killing a lamb and putting its blood over the doorpost so that the death age would pass over and then um, taking the life of, the, of anyone who didn't have that blood over their doorposts and using that to liberate God's people from Egypt? What did all of this mean? And how is Christ the ultimate Passover lamb? That's something that Paul had to teach them. He also had to teach them about the Old Testament tabernacle and then the temple that succeeded it. And how there was this place called the Most Holy Place. And how on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter the Most Holy Place. And how Christ fulfilled this. Think about the massive body of knowledge that needed to be passed on to the Philippians. Paul says, you sat in my classroom and I taught you these things. I taught you not only what they were factually, but what they meant and how they changed once Jesus came and fulfilled the meaning of them. Ultimately, Paul taught them the lessons that people like Abraham lived by faith in God, and we too must live by faith. The church has many things, but one of the things it is, is a classroom. It's a classroom where we communicate the truth of God's Word and where the people of God learn the meaning of the Scriptures. And my question for us is, are you learning anything as a Christian? All of us come to this church, we become part of this body of Christ, with different levels of knowledge about both the Old and the New Testaments. Some of you came to Christ in this church. You heard the gospel message either through me or through someone else in this church. And you believed in Jesus Christ, and you had all this stuff to learn too. And over the time, the, the time that you've been part of this church family, you've learned these truths in this church. Others of you grew up in the church, and you learned these stories, and, but now some of the significance and meaning of them and its application to your life is being taught to you. My question for us is, are we learning anything? Paul says in verse 9, whatever you have learned, is this a place where people are learning the truth of God's word? And without going too far down this massive rabbit hole. One thing that concerns me and troubles me about the American church in general is that the modern American church is not much of a classroom, it's many things, it's a great concert in some instances. Or it's a very motivating place to hear a motivating speech. But it's not much of a classroom. Instead of teaching, I think in many American churches, most sermons are designed to make you feel something. And I'm not opposed to feeling certain things. I do want you to experience some godly emotions in our gatherings together. But that's not my primary goal. That's not our primary goal. But I think a lot of sermons in a lot of American evangelical churches are designed primarily to make you feel... Now, it depends on what kind of church you go to, what they want you to feel. Sometimes they want you to feel guilt. And they want to turn the screws of your own disobedience to try to get you to do certain things. All right, So guilt is one of the things you might feel in church. Other churches are designed to encourage you. They focus on positivity. They want you to feel better about your life. Some churches want... You, want To enter into some form of therapy. Their idea is therapeutic. All right? They want you to feel better in a different way, in a therapeutic kind of way. And when I listen to preaching, either in podcasts or on YouTube or when my family and I travel on vacation, and we try to, I I love going to church, so I try to visit other churches as often as I can when I'm out there. But when I visit other churches and try to find good ones even when I'm on vacation it's often disturbing how very little biblical content there are there is in sermons that I experience as I said I want you to feel something when you come to church I want you to be encouraged I want you to feel conviction of sin when that's appropriate I want you to feel refocused on what really matters which is serving Jesus Christ but I also want you to learn something If we're not learning, if the church is not a classroom, if there isn't a classroom setting in your life, then you can't put truth into practice. If you don't know what the Scripture teaches, how is it possible for you to obey what it says? And so the first thing that Paul says in verse 9 is, whatever you have learned in the classroom of the church, put it into practice in your life. Don't just intellectualize the truth of the Bible and the truth of Christianity. Learn it, but then act on it. Let it change the way that you live. Now, obviously, there's more to this verse than just what I've covered this morning. We've just barely dipped our toe into the the verse. And so we'll come back to this verse again in in another session, in other sessions going forward. But I just want you to remember that the emphasis on this verse is obedience, The verb is put it into practice. Before you can obey God's Word, you have to know what it says. You also need to know what it means and what the implications are that God wants us to take and to put into our life. So this is why our church teaches the Word of God. This is why I take time to break it down phrase by phrase, clause by clause, and sometimes word by word to try to explain it to you and apply it to your life and illustrate it for you. And so that you will know the truth of God's word. And then by obeying the truth, you will do what Paul commands in this verse, the truth that you've been taught. And all of this ties back to, again, to that first command in this whole paragraph, rejoice in the Lord. If your relationship with God is important to you, if you love Jesus Christ, you need to know who He is and what God's Word says about him. And if you're looking to Jesus Christ for your joy, for your meaning and significance in life, then you'll want to learn and then obey what Jesus said and what he did. And so again, my big idea for this entire paragraph is... When you rejoice in the Lord, it will make you gentle, prayerful and anxious, intentional in your thinking and obedient to God's word. The first piece of that obedient to God's word has to do with learning what God's word says so that you can obey it. And so the big idea for this message, this part of verse nine is, a better brand of happiness comes from learning and obeying God's word. And again, This world offers us all kinds of sources of happiness. Positive thinking, which you find in some churches, is one of the counterfeit forms of happiness that's offered to us. Prosperity, which you also find in American churches, is another counterfeit form of happiness that's offered to us. And I could go on and on, but the Bible says a better brand of happiness... The kind that has eternal significance, the kind that will really change your life, comes from being a student of the Word of God and then putting into practice the things you learn from the Scriptures. A better brand of happiness comes from learning and obeying God's Word. Let's be students, hungry to learn what God's Word says so that we can put it into practice in our life. This is a better brand of happiness.